as Christians, we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. We talk about the good news of the gospel. If you're around us very much, we're talking a lot about we need to proclaim the good news and we have the good news and we stand on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the word gospel actually literally means glad tidings or it actually means good news. And so my question this morning as we begin is this, so then what exactly is the good news of the gospel? What is the good news? Is it that through Jesus Christ we have eternal life? The Bible tells us that. We know that. That surely is good news. Is that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it that through Christ we are redeemed, we are saved? The Bible carefully explains that, and that is true. Is that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the good news, and really why is it the good news? Stay with me this morning. Follow along with me this morning. Our God is perfect. He is pristine. He is pure. He is holy. He is set aside. Our God can have no part of sin. In fact, we need to understand this morning, sin is an affront on him. Sin is a rebellion against him. Sin is a turning away from him. Really, sin is an outright rejection of our God. And we need to understand that. Sometimes we, we try to soften down our view of sin. Well, understand all sin is to say to God, I deny you and I deny your will and rather I choose me and I choose my will. And sin is an affront against God. Be sure this morning, God and his justice, and yes, he is absolutely just, he is perfectly just, in his perfect justice, he will judge and punish sin. Because of his holy nature, because of his perfect justice, God's wrath, God's anger towards sin will be and must be executed. His justice must be realized. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. What we've earned by having sin is death. That is the standard. That is the truth. Listen to this Old Testament description in the book of Nahum chapter 1. Listen to verses 2 through 6. It says this. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him, and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence the world and all the inhabitants in it, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by him. Listen in the New Testament. As the wrath of God is poured out in the last days. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, it says this. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. 
and in righteousness he judges and wages war. He judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. And the song says, and he tramples out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Our God, pure, holy, and just, in fierce anger, the Bible says, judges sin. Enter Jesus. He comes as a man, he doesn't have to. He lives a life with no sin because we're not able to. And he goes to the cross of Calvary. Now we know the story of the cross. Men mock him there. Soldiers beat him mercilessly there. He is executed. Executors take him and nail him to the cross. And there he dies. The cross is terrible. Oh, it is a terrible thing. But folks, I want you to know today, that's not the worst part of the cross. You see, on the cross of Calvary, at Calvary, the Bible says Jesus becomes sin. He becomes our sin. The very thing that he abhors, the very thing that he hates, he becomes. And there on the cross of Calvary is the perfect lamb of God, God's just and righteous anger and his judgment against sin is poured out on his only beloved son, Jesus. And he takes it and he receives it. And into the atmosphere that he created, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And friends, unless we lose sight of it, unless we're no longer impressed by it, the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus is punished for our guilt that we might receive God's grace. And that is the good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us revel in that. Jesus is punished for our guilt that we might know and see God's grace. That's why I've been saying the thing that I love most about our God is his grace. Now I see all of his attributes. I see how marvelous he is but I am most astounded by his grace. You see, that was my punishment. That was my wrath that he endured, that he stood under, and I praise God for his grace. Well, today as we continue looking at Luke chapter 15, as we continue looking at the, the parable of the lost son, we see at God's own directing the awesome grace of God. And that's an awesome thing. What a tremendous picture it is. Today in God's own directing, in his own word, we see the tremendous grace of God. Our message today is entitled, Grace Unimaginable. Grace Unimaginable. We're in Luke chapter 15. Today our focal verses are verses 20 through 24. Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. I'm going to read the entire section from verse 11 all the way through verse 24. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 15, beginning here in verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. 
So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, has come to life again. He was lost, but has been found. And they began to celebrate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for your word. And I'm thankful that through it you reveal fully in your revelation all that we need to know about you. And I'm thankful that we're not having to guess today that we're not piecing together our understanding, that we're not looking for a new revelation, but we have the revelation of God himself given to us in his word. We come today and I pray that we will be taken back today. I pray that, that in the hearing and the preaching of your word, that we will be astounded by the absolute marvelous grace of our God. I pray that today that those without Christ would put their faith in Christ in the, the drawing of your spirit and the preaching and the proclaiming of your word. I pray that we as Christians today would, would leave with a renewed perspective, rejoicing in the grace of our God. We tell you today we love you, we praise you, we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week, if you remember, we did a survey of the sun to enable us to be able to see today the, the graciousness of the Father. And really we have to, to see, and I mean really see, the, the condition of the Son, the, the actions of the Son, the heart of the Son, and able to, for us to be able to understand the grace of the Father. We have to be able to, to look at the Son and see His heart and, and see His actions and see His rebellion and for us to be able to understand the profoundness of the grace of the Father. So this morning we'll start by remembering this son. Remember, he had really divorced himself from his family, very specifically from his own father. We saw last week that to ask for your inheritance was to say to your family and to say to your father, I want nothing more to do with you. I want to sever my ties with you. Now, that was to the point that the father could have had a funeral and declared him as dead. That was the tradition in that time. 
If a son was so bold and so rebellious to do this, the father could say, you know what? I count you as dead. I'll give you your part, but you're no longer part of us and you leave. And they would count him as dead. And so we find the son here and we find him in his sin. We find him in his rebellion. And in that sin and in that rebellion, he is now separated from the family. He is out on his own. He is living in shame. He has disgraced himself. And now he is suffering for that rebellion. He is suffering for that sin. Verse 17 says, I'm dying here with hunger. Last week we saw sin always results in death. Now we may want to dress it up and we may want it to appear as appeasing, but sin always ends in death. Verse 19, let me read verse 19. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Let me read the first part of verse 20. It says, and so he got up and came to his father. Now I want us to see two things already here this morning, and that is this. The first is this. Understand, he was telling the truth. He was no longer worthy. He no longer had the right to claim the position and all the rights that come with sonship. And so he was telling the truth. I no longer have the right to be called. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Understand today, us as sinners, we are no longer worthy. We no longer are able to claim the right of sons and daughters of our God. We have forfeited that when we entered into sin. Second thing to see here, aware of his sin, living in that shame, suffering for his sin, in the midst of that, verse 17 says, he came to his senses. He's there and he's been disgraced and he's now suffering for his sin. And verse 17 says, in the midst of that, he came to his senses. Well, I think it's pretty interesting here in verse 20. It says, when he came to his senses, he came to his father. Wow. No matter how far he had gone, no matter how bad he had messed things up, he still knew the character of the father. And when he came to his senses, He just went home. How awesome is that? Now we're ready to see the father here. We're going to see three responses that come from the father's grace. And we're going to see these three responses and they are going to reveal to us, they're going to point to us the father's grace. We understand the son now and his position. We're going to see the the father's three responses that reveal his grace. The first response that we see today is this. He received his son. He received his son. Look at verse 20. And so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verse 20 is really an astounding verse. We're going to try to catch some of that, all that if we can, that's there in verse 20. Notice it says there, while he was still a long way off, while he was still at a distance, the Bible says the father saw him. What What does that mean? It means this very simply. Wronged 
by the son, divorced by the son, hurt by the son, the father is still looking for that son. The father is still longing for that son. And so at a distance, he's looking there for his son. And the Bible says that he sees him. And when he sees him, he felt compassion for him. Now that word compassion, it means he felt love for him. And tied to that love for him, he felt sympathy for him. He actually hurt for the son. Can you imagine that? He sees his son, he's now appeared, and he feels love and even hurts for that son. And then we have what I believe is the best picture in the Bible. That son hurts the dad. That son brings disgrace upon the dad. That son rejects the dad. He takes his money and he goes out of the father's care. He takes that money and he steps away from the father's authority. And the last time that that son saw that father, the last time he looked back at that father, he looked at him with disdain. But now we look as the father's looking for him and he sees his son for the very first time. That father catches a glimpse of him. The first time that he sees his shape as it crests the distant hill. The first time there's a trace of that son as it moves down the path. See that old dad there. Here's the picture here. He begins to take up his robe. He's standing out there and he begins to pull up his long robe and he tucks it there into his belt and he drops off the tools that he's working with and he lets them fall to the ground. And the Bible says that he says, hey, I think that's my son. Hey, that's my son. And he breaks into a run and he starts to run and the hired hands are looking at him and he runs. Hey, there's my son. And he, and he starts to run and they, they think he's lost his mind and he finally gets to the son and the Bible says he embraces him. In the Greek it says he literally falls onto his neck and there he begins to kiss him and the verb tense is he kisses his son. He kisses his son. He kisses his son. The greatest picture in the Bible. Oh, what grace. And that is our father. That is our God. That is our God. That's my son. And he embraces him and he falls on his neck. What grace. What grace. Look at verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I want you to notice something here. I think it's important. Notice what he says in verses 18 and 19. He says, I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Notice there in verse 21, he doesn't get it all out. Notice there in verse 21, he doesn't say, make me as one of your hired men. Now understand, he had rehearsed it. He'd walked all that way. He knew what he was gonna say, but he doesn't get it all the way out. I believe it's because the father cuts him off. We see here that the father received him. It was, it was of no work of the son. It was no effort of the son. He just repented and came back home. We see how the father instantly receives that son. What grace. 
It's about to get better. Get ready. Second thing we see, how he restores that son. He doesn't just receive him. He also restores that son. Look at verse 22. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. The son's there and he's stammering around on that guilty speech that he'd rehearsed. He doesn't even get it all out and the father breaks in and says, my son is home. Hey, somebody get the robe and get the best robe and come and put it on my son and somebody get the ring and put it on his hand and somebody get sandals and put them on his feet. What picture is Jesus painting here? Let me show you some things. The robe in the Greek is a stole. It was a stately garment. It was a long garment that came all the way from the shoulders and draped all the way down to the feet. It was not an ordinary piece of clothing. It was not a piece of work clothing. And it signified honor. It signified respect. Well, notice here, he doesn't just say, just get that. He says, get the best of that. Get the best of those robes and put it on his son. His son who had dishonored him, he now honors. What grace. The ring, the ring was valuable. Here's this son who had squandered his wealth on riotous living and he puts a valuable ring back on his hand. The ring carried the family crest and it was really the seal of the family. Today we might call it the brand of the family. It was a sign of distinction. It meant that you belong to that family. More than that, the ring carried with it the authority to represent and do business on behalf of the family. If that son was to go anywhere wearing that ring with the crest of the family, he was authorized to represent the family, to do business on behalf of the family. The ring signified the son's restoration to his position in the family. The sandals. The Bible says, put some sandals on his feet. Very simply, it shows this. That son had gone off and he'd acted foolishly. That son had gone off with all of his wealth and he now comes back and he is in need. He now comes back and evidently doesn't even have shoes on his feet and he comes back poor. He took himself out of the father's care. He took himself away from the father's provision. But now the possessions of the family are now his again. We need to understand this. See this today. The father doesn't just receive him. He doesn't say, well, just come on back and, and we'll see if you can prove yourself and, and we got some jobs that you can do around here. He instantly restores the son to the position he had in the family. The son says, you know what? I don't need the family. I reject this family. I reject my father. I'm gonna go and make my own way. He tells the father, I rebel against you. I reject you. And the father says, you know what? I'm gonna make it like you never left. What grace. And so we see how the father receives the son. We see how the father restores the son. And the third thing we see today, how awesome. The father rejoices with the son. Look at verse 23. And he said, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. 
The fatted calf was a calf that would have been fed out. It would have been finished out on grain the way we do as well. It probably would have been finished out on wheat in that area, in that culture. It was a calf that they would keep to be ready to kill for a feast. And, and that calf would have been big enough that it would have fed many, many people. And so this is something he'd reserve for a feast, something for a celebration. It was for many, many people. And the dad says, let us eat and let us celebrate. The son that I had is back and I found him again and he's dead and now he's alive. Let us celebrate. Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and has now come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Notice it says there, and they began to celebrate. See this today. In the first parable, they find the sheep and the owner and the friends, they rejoice. They have a great celebration. In the second parable, they find the coin and the owner calls together her friends and they rejoice and it's a, a great celebration. The Bible says even the angels in heaven join in. But notice this, in this parable, when he finds the son, when the son who is dead is now alive again, who gets to join in? The son does. The son is included as part of the celebration. Now think about that for just a second. He's the one who caused all the trouble. He's the one who sinned. He's the one who spurned and rejected his father's love and care. He's the one that caused all the problems. And yet now we find him, he's stabbed dab in the middle of the celebration. The father has received him and the father has restored him. And now the father rejoices again with his son. Friends, that is grace. That's our God. He tells us, this is what I'm like. Favorite part, verse 24, says that they began to celebrate. That they began to celebrate. You know what that means to me? It means it's just getting started. Good news of the gospel is that Jesus suffered God's wrath towards sin that we might know his grace. Kind of changes our perspective, doesn't it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Divorced the father, I did. Disgraced the father, I did. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I was even dead. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And they began to celebrate. Praise God for his grace. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and I am astounded by this picture of you. I know that's you. I cannot imagine the grace that it would take to propel you to love and to receive and to restore and to celebrate with ones who've turned against you. Yet your grace is that unimaginable, that huge. I praise you for it. I'm thankful that you demonstrated it, not in just words, but in Jesus Christ that he came and endured the righteous wrath of God towards sin, 
that it was poured out upon him and he endured it, that I might know God's grace. And in that grace, the forgiveness of sin. In that grace, restoration. In that grace, eternal life. I praise you for that. I pray today that you've spoken to us. And I pray for some here today that have never put their faith in Christ, that they would catch a glimpse of of the Father that we serve. They couldn't turn away and they couldn't look aside, but they would come and say today, I put my faith in that Savior, in, in that God, in Jesus they might be saved. I pray for us today here who are followers of Christ, maybe that we've, we've been lulled to sleep and we've lost our, our concept of sin and the despise that we have out of sin, but, but as we've lost that, we've also lost the magnificence of your grace. And I pray that in, in reality, those two things would stand and in contrast. We would praise you and we'd worship you and we'd love you for your grace and your mercy. Tell you today, we love you, and I praise you, and I worship you, and I thank you. You truly are gracious and kind and loving, compassionate. I submit to you as my Lord. We do as our Savior. We praise the name of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.